It's really epic. Hopefully the message is halfway as epic as that. That was great. Um, we are in the, a series on the book of Revelation called Seven, and we um, began that last week. And it's going to take 45 weeks total, and it's not all at once, so you can breathe a little bit there. We are going to do uh, in increments. The first one is about five weeks, and then we'll do a couple other series and then jump back in uh, as well. But uh, I want to remind you why we're studying Revelation, because that is really, uh, you know, a, a good question to answer, I think, with anything. Number one, it's, it's Scripture. It's the Bible, we, and that's what we do. We study God's Word. We look at it. We ask God to speak to us through His Word. And so, uh, this is not, you know, trust me, this is not something I was like, hey, I really want to show everyone how smart I am with Revelation. In fact... It's a little risky because you might come away with it and think, that guy knows nothing. Because uh, <laughs> I probably don't. Uh, the goal, number one, is the Lord impressed upon my heart the need for this study. Because, and I've heard many of you state, it seems like the church for a long time has, has avoided it or that we, uh, that we don't go into it for various reasons. And it's intimidating. And that's why I haven't preached through it or... Um, done a lot of like Bible studies or anything like that in it, but at the, at the end of the at the end of it all, why do we why study this? Why look at the Book of Revelation? Well, I don't want to reiterate what I talked about last week, but we we don't want to get into all the weeds, uh, so to speak, and miss what's really most important in this book and every book, but really this book. And that is to answer the question that we need Jesus. We desperately need Jesus in our lives. And Revelation helps us to see Jesus in an exalted state, in a glorified state. We see Jesus high and lifted up, mighty King Jesus. And we need that. We need to know everything there is to know about Jesus. We need to be able to see Jesus. Uh, we need to be able to live our lives in such a way that we consume so much of Jesus that when we were pricked, we'd bleed Jesus. We need Jesus in our lives. And I want to just say that not only do you and I need Jesus, not only do you and I need to know Him and need to experience a relationship with Him, but can we just say for a moment, our world needs Jesus, amen? Our world needs to know who He is. And let me just step on my toes for a little bit for a moment, and maybe indirectly stepping on yours, is that how will the world that I am surrounded by, how will they know this Jesus unless I know this Jesus? And how will they know this Jesus unless I go to them and tell them who He is? And I think we can all ask the same question of our own lives. We need to see this exalted picture of our Savior. We need to know this Jesus who truly, the victory is His. As that song we sang just a few moments ago, the victory is His because He overcame. 
And I want, I think we all need to see Jesus in this victorious, glorious state, the one who overcomes it all on your behalf and on my behalf. We need Jesus. Why? Why do we need revelation? Why do we need this picture of Jesus? For courage. For courage. For strength to face the trials that we face today. For strength to face the trials that will inevitably come. We need this exalted picture of our overcoming glorious Savior so that you and I can have courage and strength to face today, tomorrow, and this, this fallen life that we live in, this fallen world that we live in. We need courage and strength to face our day. And we re receive courage if we understand what is here. And it's interesting that we, and maybe I'm only speaking of my own self, we, we have avoided diving into Revelation maybe because of some fears because there are things that are unknown. There are things that, what does that mean? And how does that flesh out? And when will this happen? And has this already happened? And, and all those things that we may not have the answers for. And so out of fear, and I'm just being honest about myself, out of fear, I'm like, I just don't know about that. And that's ironic because it's a, it's a text that was written to a group of people to give them courage for the trials and tribulations and afflictions that they faced. And here I am fearful of the thing that would actually inject courage into my veins and give me strength to face my own trials and my own afflictions. The church of Jesus Christ, Lafayette First Baptist Church, needs courage. Needs courage. We don't need to be fearful. Because in the end, Jesus wins. Amen? In the end, Jesus is victorious. And Jesus doesn't just become victorious. He already is. And that victory remains true for you today. For me today. And so the church of Jesus Christ, Lafayette First, should be courageous to go into the world not uh, pointing fingers and saying, y'all all need Jesus, you know, you, you, come on, come on. But to go and say lovingly, do you know my Savior? Do you know the one who can rescue you? Do you, do you know the one who gives you respite, gives you rescue, who overcomes, who is victorious? We need courage, not just to face what life will hand us, but the courage to go to our neighbors and friends and loved ones and say, please, just hear me out about my Jesus. We need courage to face and share His message with our loved ones. And then we need strength to face trials and struggles and sufferings that this life will bring if it hasn't already. We need Jesus. John wrote this vision down. It was a vision given to him by Jesus Christ from God and he wrote it down to give 
upon the Lord's leading to a specific group of Christians occupying seven churches throughout Asia Minor to inject them with what they needed to face the trials that they were already facing and would soon face. And we, as a byproduct, get to understand that and have the same courage injected into our own veins. Would you, if you're able, would you stand as we read God's Word? Revelation chapter 1, beginning in verse 9. And uh, just a reminder, at the end, I'll say the Word of the Lord, and you would say, thanks be to God. I, John, your brother and partner in the affliction, kingdom, and endurance that are in Jesus was on the island called Patmos because of the word of the Lord and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and I heard a loud voice behind me like a trumpet saying, Write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Then I turned to see whose voice it was that spoke to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was one like the Son of Man, dressed in a robe and with a golden sash wrapped around his chest. The hair of his head was white as wool, white as snow, and his eyes were like a fiery flame. His feet were like fine bronze as it is fired in a furnace and his voice like the sound of cascading waters. He had seven stars in his right hands and a sharp double-edged sword came from his mouth and his face was shining like the sun at full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. He laid his right hand on me and said, Don't be afraid. I am the first and the last and the living one. I was dead, but look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death in Hades. And therefore, write what you've seen, what it is, and what will take place after this. The mystery of the seven stars you saw in my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. You may be seated. My kids say that I yell when I preach, and sorry, I just get excited, especially when God's Word is so descriptive of who our Savior is. I think we see three things in this passage that will help us to have an understanding of who Jesus is, how much He loves us, and how glorious He is, and then how available to you and I this strength and this courage can be. The first thing we see is that Jesus is exalted above our sufferings. Jesus is exalted above our sufferings. In this passage, John describes how he saw Jesus in all his glory in the midst of the seven lampstands, which is the churches, which is the light of the world, right? Jesus said when he was walking on the earth, he was speaking to the Christians there, the the disciples before the churches ever became uh, into existence. He said what? You are the light of the world, a city set upon a hill. 
And so that's what the lampstands help us to understand is that these churches carried the light of Jesus to their, to their world, to their communities. This, this, these seven churches carried the light of Jesus for the world to see. And we see John and Jesus both identify with the affliction that the churches were facing and the tribulation that they were facing. How do I know that? John, or Revelation 1, John said, 1, 9, John says, I, John, your brother and partner, partner, so John partners with them in affliction, kingdom and endurance. But then he says, that are in Jesus. So I'm partnering with you in the affliction that are found in Jesus. In fact, this passage really describes Jesus in such a way that it's, it's like it was the affliction that Jesus, that He experienced that birthed forth His kingdom and that He was the King because of it, because He had endured the affliction. And John is saying, I identify with you and I identify with Jesus. He is currently on the island of Patmos, he continues. Why is he there? Because of persecution. He was imprisoned because of his faith, because of what he was preaching, because of the things that he was sharing. He was imprisoned for that and therefore... He was afflicted as well. So, Jesus is lifted up. And what we see from this passage, and we will see as it continues, is this beautiful picture of Jesus as prophet, priest, and king, all wrapped into one. The imagery that we see, the golden sash, the sash around him, the 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 blonde or the white hair, the bronze shoes show us that he is prophet, priest, and king. And he's birthed to that position because of his affliction. And what we see is that identifying with our sufferings, Jesus identifies with our sufferings but he is exalted above them. So what, what, we, what I think would be encouraging to the churches in the day who are facing threats of death, threats of their own life, to hear that Jesus, because of his affliction, is the very thing that lifted him above it all, would give them courage to continue on in their own afflictions. To realize that my sufferings birth what Christ can do in me and lift me above and outside of those things. We try to avoid affliction. We try to avoid sufferings. We don't like it. And we shouldn't. It's terrible. We don't like those things. But what we see from Scripture is that suffering births births an exalted state that you could not achieve without suffering. Paul wrote it this way in Philippians when he said that I might know Him in His resurrection, the power of His resurrection, 
and that I may be uh, in fellowship with his sufferings. Paul tells us, he tells the church in, in Philippi that, that the knowledge of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, brings forth us knowing who Jesus is. So this is true for you and me. It's, it, this is to inject courage into our veins and give us strength to face our own trials. Now, I don't want to minimize your trials. I don't want to minimize the affliction that you face. I don't want to minimize the sufferings in your own life in this moment. But I want you to consider what these Christians were facing and Christians before them were facing. And really, even in our day, Christians are facing in other parts of the world. Now, we talked about last week, was Revelation written uh, in 65 A.D.? Some, some assume, some think 96 A.D. And I said, I don't know. And uh, I told you there will be a lot of I don't knows. But regardless, think about what was happening in, in either of those dates, in either, either of those decades. Under, in 65, under the rule of Nero, do you know what happened to Christians? Did you know that there was a great fire and Nero tried to pin it on the Christians? And so what they did to punish them in front of everyone was to dip them in oil, light them on fire, and put them on a stick for everyone to see. That's affliction. That's trials. That's persecution. If it was written in 96 AD, and this was the thing that was happening at the time when Domitian's rule was that Domitian was such a... He desired to... He was the Caesar of that time, the ruler of that time, the king of that time. And he expected for anyone to call him God the Lord. Anytime that he would enter a place or a, rule, a, 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 a region or anything, he wanted people to call him God the Lord. So don't you think that when Christians say, we can't say that, Jesus is our Lord, don't you think that puts them in opposition right away? And what happened under Domitian's rule is that anytime Christians would not acknowledge him as Lord, they suffered it. Under Nero's reign and persecution, Peter died on a cross upside down. Paul was put to death and Timothy as well. I don't want to minimize your trials and tribulations. I don't want to minimize your sufferings because it's all hard and all of us need the courage of the Lord. But don't you think that if the courage of Jesus overcoming afflictions could be injected into the people that were facing that day by day. That Jesus, overcoming his own afflictions and our afflictions for us, could give us courage as well. I pray that it does. We just need courage to even have to walk outside after this because all the rain that you just heard, I saw everyone look. <clears throat> the second thing we see is that we should marvel at the glorified Christ. What does John do? What does John do when he encounters this amazing picture of Jesus? What does he do? He falls to his knees. 
like a dead man, it says. This picture of Jesus that John saw, that he encountered, this ultimately wise, authoritative, rock-solid, powerful, exalted Jesus, he falls to his knees in worship and wonder. We see that this, this vision that John has really parallels the visions that, that were given in Daniel 7 and, and other places in Daniel. Daniel 10, I, I wish I had time to, to, to show you those parallels and, and, to, and to see those things there. But ultimately, it's, it's a very similar description. And so this, this is, these prophecies from Daniel are being being fulfilled in this moment in Jesus. And I think John would have known that. I think his readers would have known that and understood that. That this is what, what they were hoping for and praying for and thinking for, but then Jesus would fulfill that once and for all. So it only added to his awe and wonder of who this Jesus was, this exalted Lord. We see in this passage... We see that his hair was like white, right? And we understand that that is wisdom. You know, any, the more white hairs I get, I think that there was, I think it's because my kids drive me crazy, but obviously that is breeding wisdom in my life, right? But that is true of the culture of the day. Any, white hair symbolized uh, wisdom, so Jesus is ultimately wise, fully wise, fully wisdom. We see that his eyes were ablaze. And in my reading, what I found is that really we're not exactly sure. Possibly the eyes ablaze could, could signify judgment. But nonetheless, how cool is that, right? Jesus' eyes are aflame. I mean, how amazing would that be if, if you saw that? John saw, you know, Jesus with, with all the, the white hair, but the, his eyes aflame. It certainly adds to the understanding that he is all-powerful and almighty. The feet burnished with bronze helps us to see the solid foundation that we have in Jesus. The mouth with the, with the sword, the double-edged sword coming forth, is, helps us to understand that His Word goes forth and it penetrates as to uh, the, the depth of the bone and marrow, just as Hebrews tells us, in His face shone in glory, just like Moses' face shone in glory when he was in the presence of the Shekinah glory of God that the people couldn't even look upon Him. All these things help us to see how powerful and glorified He is and how worthy of our praise He is. We see Him as prophet, priest, and king. The sash around, his, uh, around Him helps us to signify that He is our priest. He is our great high priest. And He is worthy of all of our praise. And us understanding this, and us understanding Jesus, and us understanding Him in His glorified state also ought to bring us to humble worship before Him. To be able to approach Him and understand Him and, and see Him in, in our humility. Why do we need Jesus, why do we come week after week 
to praise His name? Why do we come week after week to sing songs that point us to Him? It's to worship Him in humility. To fall at our knees before Him. And to praise Him because He's worthy. And to praise Him because He has overcome. And to praise Him because He is lifted high and that we can have our solace and freedom in Him. The last thing that we see is that this lifted portrait of Jesus should give us courage. It should encourage us. Jesus tells John not to be afraid and subsequently the churches then and now. Us too. Why? Why can we not be afraid when we see this amazing picture of our Savior? Like he's never, like we've never seen him before. Like, like he has fully unveiled his glory. Peter, James, and John only got a glimpse of it on the Mount of Transfiguration. Only a glimpse. And they're like, hey, we need to build some altars and worship you for the rest of our lives on this mountain right now. They only got a glimpse. And here John gets the full vision. So, why should we not be afraid? It seems like we should be afraid of this vision. It seems like John was. He fell to his knees like a dead man. But Jesus says, don't be afraid. And then He gives him the reason. He says, I'm the first and the last. I'm the living one. I once was dead, but now I'm alive. Why don't we have to fear Jesus? Because Jesus, in His exalted state, has come to rescue and redeem those who would put their trust in Him. And we don't have to be afraid because in our humility we come before Him and say, Jesus, You are high and lifted up. You are worthy of my praise and I follow You. And He says, You don't have to be afraid because I am the living One. And what was once made dead now is alive. And we see that symbolized in John falling to his knees like a dead man and Jesus saying, I am alive and injecting life into him. And he can inject life into you as well. You and I, we do not have to be afraid because we have the living one on our side. And not only is he alive, but he says, I hold the keys to death and hell. I hold the keys to the things that could take you and enter you into death. And I hold the keys to that. I'm the one who's over it. I have all authority over it. So what Jesus is saying is, I'm alive and you can be alive too. And because of that, you need not fear. We shouldn't be afraid because Jesus with all power and authority, holds death's keys in His hands. And He has overcome those things for those who trust in Him. Friends, how do we respond to this? We, we respond as John did. We respond as John did. We, we come before Him on our knees, worthy, uh, humbling ourselves before Him, unworthy to be in His presence, to allow Him to turn around and say, it's not based on your worth, but mine. And He lifts us to life and injects life into us. So we approach Him that way. We approach Him humbly. 
Perhaps you're here today and you've not trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior. What better moment to trust Him than to see this beautiful, amazing vision of our Savior and to give your life to Him, to acknowledge that He's the King of your life as well. We respond to Him today. We must all respond to Him today. John didn't have an option. John couldn't have just said, oh, cool, thanks, Jesus, and turn and walk away. Faced with Jesus in all His glory, He hit His knees. Can we today, as we sing in just a moment, seek to posture ourselves before Him in a similar way? To say, Jesus, I humble myself before You so that You can be exalted above me and above my own sufferings. Can we do what Peter told us to do in 1 Peter 5, 6? Well, the last part of 5. All of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God so that He may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your cares on Him because He cares about you. Will you humble yourself before the Lord today? Let me just be clear. This is not one of those moments where we're sitting there and we're thinking, hmm, I wonder who's going to come forward today. I wonder who the Lord's going to work in their heart today. We need to each and every one ask our own selves, Lord, what do you want to do in me? How can I humble me before you today? Friend, what suffering has come upon you? Jesus has overcome for you. He can give you strength that you need to face whatever lies before you. Come humbly before Him and hear Him say, you don't have to be afraid. I'm alive. Let's pray. Lord, help us to be humble. And Lord, as we are humble, speak. Speak to our hearts, God. Work in our lives, God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand? And as you stand, we're going to sing. And if God is working in your heart and life, you come. I'd love to pray with you. I'd love to share with you how to trust Jesus. You come today as we sing.